On today's episode of the Nesson Celtics podcast, we are just a few days removed from the NBA's tread deadline and the Celtics are thrown around in all sorts of rumors. We have the Athletics' Jared Weiss on the show today to hash it all out for you guys. Welcome back to the Nesson Celtics podcast. We are a few days away from the NBA trade deadline and the rumors are everywhere. We're going to get into all of them with you guys and we have a very special guest, Jared Weiss of The Athletic, my buddy. And then as always, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a special guest. No you're way. A special guest. Yes. No way. I'm Alex Francisco. I'm joined by Adam London and Dakota Randall. How are you guys? I'm good. It's our uh, first guest of the season, so it's nice to have some new blood on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm great, and it sounds like Marcus Mart has one foot out of town, which is, uh, if you listen to the show, you know that's what I've been rooting for, so let's, let's get into it. <laughs> well, I, I want to, can I interview you about your uh, Marcus Smart takes? Because that's fascinating. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Before, <laughs> so before we really dig, that is the, the thing here. It's uh, Dakota's on that. I he. I think you're on an island by yourself. Apparently, there's more people out there that don't think Marcus Smart is a good guard, but. Well, no, there's an island of like total Neanderthals, like like the sports talk radio people who just hate Marcus Smart for the sake of hating him. I like to think my, you know, I'm a little bit more grounded in reason with my approach to being anti-Marcus Smart, but maybe I'm giving myself too much credit. Well, so speaking of the devil, right, he's being thrown down a lot in these trade rumors as of late. Aaron Gordon is one that we've been seeing. Um, so apparently Boston's the favorite to land him. Marcus Smart is a piece in that. Jared, first of all, we've heard so many names being thrown around around the last few weeks. How good of a fit is Aaron Gordon with the Celtics, in your opinion? I've always felt he was a great fit. He was when the uh, Gordon Hayward trade exception came to be back in the offseason. He was the guy that I put out there as the, who should be their top target. Um, you know, I, I had heard that, they, that that was someone that could make sense for them and that they could be interested in. Wasn't certain how clear their interests would be. And I think it's very clear as the season has gone on, it's really proven that he's the guy that would solve a lot of their issues because he's someone that what's good about him is I think he'll be way better playing in the Celtics system where he's surrounded by some guys that can create shots off the dribble and play make. And that takes a lot of pressure for him to do that kind of stuff. Cause that's the stuff that he's just not, those aren't his strengths. His strengths are being able to get the ball on the move and just attack straight up or be able to you know, catch and shoot the ball. Cause he, while he's kind of an inconsistent shooter, he's actually, a, he's been a very consistent catch and shoot guy. So it would just allow him to do the stuff he's really good at not do the stuff that he's terrible at. And I mean, that's what you're trying to do when you're building a team, right? Jared, how is uh, Aaron Gordon viewed as a defender? Uh, I just, I, I, I feel like I've watched a lot of him, but I, 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 for some reason, I don't really, I don't, I don't have any real good impression of him as a defender. Do you think he fits what the Celtics like to do? Yeah. So he's in the past has showed promise of being an elite defender. He got pretty close to making the, the all defense second team, uh, I think two years ago now. Uh, this year, his defense has been pretty bad. Uh, sources in Orlando have told me that, uh, that the hamstring strain he was dealing with during the bubble 
was holding him back a little bit. Obviously, he just missed a lot of time with an ankle sprain. So who knows if he'll be able to be a good defender again this year. But he's a, you know, he's about 6'9". He's built like a big man, but obviously we know he has a 45-inch vertical, also a really smooth athlete with good speed. So that allows him to guard pretty much any wing in the NBA. And so typically, Orlando has put him, at least because their great defensive wing, Jonathan Isaac, is out hurt this year. Orlando has been putting him on the best wing on every single opponent. Now, this year, he's been kind of getting blown away for the most part by those guys because, I, I guess, because his hamstring was an issue. But when he's 100% healthy, he is that kind of big, versatile defender that pretty much every team in the NBA really wants. And while Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can fill that role really well, they would like to kind of take the pressure off of those guys for a lot of the game to have to do that so that they can really conserve their energy for the offense event. Uh, one quick question about the framework of the deal. I feel like, or from what I understand, what the stories that I've read this morning, um, the rumored package seems to be Marcus Smart and draft picks uh, for Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier. There's some degree of that. So my first question is one, uh, is that accurate? Is that kind of what you're hearing too? Um, or I also saw you float a package that seemed to be more uh, built around matching salaries with Tristan Thompson, Romeo Langford, maybe a Peyton Pritchard or Grant Williams. Um, what are you hearing about the potential framework of a deal if it could happen? And if so, do you think it's, or regardless of what it is, do you think it's wiser for the Celtics to go with, you know, a, a, a player like Marcus Smart in picks or try and build a package that make, that allows them to avoid using the trade exception? I think you want to preserve that trade exception because you can build up the matching salary around Tristan Thompson and Shemi Ojale and maybe some other guys and not really give up anything that's an important long-term asset for you. Um, and Tristan Thompson's easy to move him because Gordon is kind of actually going to replace Tristan Thompson because they don't need a third big necessarily in the rotation, but they do need another four in their rotation. So he would kind of, you know, instead of them playing double big, they would just have Gordon as that other big, which would be exactly what they want. So you really want to try to preserve that TPE so that you can at least have the flexibility of potentially using it again at some point. The thing though, is that, if you make this trade for Fournier and Aaron Gordon, the likelihood that you use the TPE again is really, really low. So because the only way that they could like basically pull it off without paying a crazy tax bill would be if they um, traded Kemba Walker. And then if you're trading away Kemba Walker, then you don't need the trade exception because you're sending out Kemba Walker's $34 million. So actually the trade exception, exception would be hindering you a little bit because you can take in less salary with that. So if they're going to make this trade and they're going to keep Evan Fournier, because presumably you're not giving up assets for a guy that you're going to rent for half a season when you're this far away from you know being a contender. So, I'm assuming that that means that they want to be competitive and aggressive trying to re-sign Evan Fournier in this case. So in that case, it makes sense to use the trade exception there because you still have some of it left over to make a smaller move elsewhere. And then at least you're able to potentially save some assets. And you mentioned Fournier there. Do you like his potential fit with the Celtics? I'm not crazy about Fournier, but he is be, he, just like Aaron Gordon. He's just in a situation that doesn't really that I think calls upon him to be a, in a bigger role than would be ideal for him. And obviously in Boston, he comes in and he's a six man, essentially, or he's the fifth starter. No, probably not, because Aaron Gordon and Rob Williams will probably be starting. So 
you know, either way, he'd be in a smaller role. And I think that would really play to his strengths. He's a really nice, well-rounded offensive player, pretty mediocre defender. Uh, his, his shooting hasn't been that good, but he also has to take a lot of tough shots he probably wouldn't have to take when he's in Boston, kind of the same way as Aaron Gordon. So I do think he'd perform better here. It's just a matter of, like, what are you giving up to get a player that would be certainly a nice six-man, but only is serving you for half a season unless you're going to really pay big market value for him. And that's a great point that I wanted to bring up that, like, like you said, Fournier is a rental. In your opinion, that being said, what should they be willing to give up for that package of one for just Aaron Gordon, that deal alone? And then two, if you put it with Evan Fournier, because to me, if you're, if you're getting both of them, that I, I feel like it's kind of like, that gives me the idea that Danny wants to like win now or like actually really try it this year as opposed to just bringing Aaron Gordon in on a great budget-friendly deal for more the next few seasons. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that I, I'm not, I'm just kind of a little dubious on how this price makes sense if the picks aren't second-round picks or heavily protected picks because the Marcus Smart, uh, it's just such a higher price for Aaron Gordon compared to a lot of the other packages that I've been hearing about lately. Um, especially like uh, Victor Oladipo is just not, um, I don't think he's a more valuable player than Marcus Smart right now. And also Oladipo is about to hit free agency while you have Smart for another year at a really good price. So I think Smart trade value should be a lot higher than Victor Oladipo's. And so I just don't understand why it would be Marcus Smart plus two unprotected first round picks, even if Boston's first round picks probably will be in the mid twenties because they're improving their team through this trade. Oh, actually, maybe they're not improving their team through this trade. That's a big question, right? But so a straight-up trade for Aaron Gordon and Marcus Smart in a vacuum kind of makes sense. But the price for Aaron Gordon just hasn't been that high that it just seems like it's still a bit of an overpay. And then the the price for Evan Fournier has been like a borderline first-round pick at best. It hasn't been that strong. So when when you look at this package compared to what seems to be the market demands for those two guys in a vacuum it seems like it's a little bit of an overpay depending on how you value Marcus Smart but it certainly seems like the team is willing to try to move on from Marcus Smart because one they kind of have to figure out a way to mix things up around uh, the two J's and two um, like the the likelihood of them keeping him is is kind of low if they want to bring in another big time talent uh, keeping him beyond next season when he hits free agency so I know we want to get into some of the other players the Celtics have been connected to, but I, I do want to uh, focus on Marcus Smart here for just a second because he's been mentioned in so many of these trade rumors. Uh, real quick, I just want to read a tweet um, that's a longtime Celtics beat reporter Steve Bolpet sent out earlier today. Uh, he said Celtics fans who get frustrated with Marcus Smart's game, shot selection, timing of shots would probably be stunned to know how many teams covet him. In the last few days, I've spoken to good teams who want his energy and bad teams who want him to help establish a culture. So it sounds like a lot of teams want Marcus Smart. I have sort of a, a, a building theory on Marcus Smart. Uh, I kind of am starting to think he might be sort of like these coaches like, that we see, maybe like a John Tortorella, Tortorella in the NHL, where they can wear out their welcome after a while. Like he can be a perfect fit for building a culture and a style of play and leadership can be great for a certain amount of time. But after a while, it just isn't working anymore. And it might be best for both parties to go separate ways. Uh, is it possible that that might be what's what's happening with the Celtics or uh, is that just the total wrong way to look at it? 
So, I mean, Marcus Smart has been in Boston for a long, long time at this point. They've gone through multiple phases of their franchise with him. And, I mean, he certainly has improved his skill set, but he's generally been the same kind of player this whole time. And maybe his roles expanded a little bit over that time. But so they have a very, very clear sense of not only who he is, but how he fits in different combinations of lineups and different eras, basically. So... Uh, you know, I think if they're moving on from him, it's that they feel like they've seen him in multiple different types of teams. They know what it would look like if they tried to reconfigure this team around him and the Jays again. And they probably feel like this is this is the person that they'd be willing to move out of. Obviously, they're not going to move Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And Keba Walker doesn't have the trade value that allows you to be able to move him at this point. So this is kind of the one guy that they can move out of their core that will allow them to get some big pieces, which these are obviously, these are two starting caliber players and try to reconfigure it that way. So I think it's more that like, you know, Danny Ainge is going to cry himself to sleep when he makes this deal, if it happens or whenever Marcus Smart ends up leaving, but it's a sacrifice that you have to make. You have to make these really, really difficult sacrifices that try to improve the team sometimes. And, you know, obviously there's lots of teams around the NBA that want Marcus Smart and that they're missing that exact type of player and they think if they get Marcus Smart, he could put them over the edge. And obviously Atlanta and Orlando are two of those teams that think that way. I also, one quick side note, I feel like a lot of, for a while now, people have viewed Marcus Smart as the emotional core of the Celtics. You know, we've heard players say he's the heart and soul of the team. And while I, I think for a while that's made fans and, and the team fearful of losing him and what he brings in that regard. But I, personally, I think the ascendance of Jalen Brown into that role, uh, if he hasn't already totally claimed it for himself, has sort of make, made it easier to imagine life without what Marcus Smart has been for the past few years for the Celtics. You know, that's that's kind of true, but Marcus is just so valuable and so many um, connect, you know, he, he does all the connective stuff on both ends that unless Kemba's really playing at a high level, I have no idea how they replace it because I don't, I mean, Fournier and Gordon probably could replace it a little bit, but, like, they're losing their defensive coordinator out there. I mean, Smart is just so vital in orchestrating their defense. Uh, they're, they're losing the guy that's the smart cutter and passer. Maybe Fournier can replace that. Obviously, Aaron Gordon can certainly do some of that. It's just – it's he, – he's so good at those things, and then he's bad at some of the, like, kind of the more standard things that it's, it's going to dramatically change the team. And I think it's going to just take away – it's going to lower their defensive energy and acuity by a really severe amount. And I'm not sure how they get that back, but maybe they don't need to get that back. And they just need to really focus on being a real potent offense. Yeah. And you mentioned, you mentioned Atlanta as one of the teams that's interested in smart. Ironically enough, the Celtics reportedly interested in a couple of Hawks players and John Collins and well, Don Bogdanovich. Um, specifically on Collins, how realistic is it do you think that he ends up in Boston? Sir, it's, I think it's as realistic as Gordon. I mean, from what I've been hearing, the, the momentum on the Collins-Bogdanovich deal uh, or whatever type of framework ends up with the Collins deal has been slowing with Boston and that the attention has been turned more towards the Orlando deal and Aaron Gordon. So I think maybe it's less likely in that regard. But I, I certainly think that it's just as plausible for them to trade for Collins as it is for them to trade for Gordon. What do you think is a better fit for the Celtics, Collins, Bogdanovich, or Gordon Fournier? 
Probably Gordon Fournier, um, as far as specifically on the court fit. Um, you know, jo- I think John Collins probably has higher potential than all those guys. And I think, I think Bogdan Bogdanovich is a better player than Evan Fournier. Uh, but, and also he's locked in long-term and you're about, and you are able to lock in Collins long-term while Gordon only has one more year on his deal that he's an unrestricted free agent. And then Fournier is a free agent. So, I think that on the court right now, Gordon is a better fit than Collins because he's much he's much more of a perfect modern four, while Collins is a little bit more of a classic four, or really more of a five. But defensively, it's very unclear if he can handle being the center on a defense. Maybe he can. And if he can, then he's extremely valuable. But if you're stuck putting him at the four and he has to guard wings most of the time, that's that's the big problem. So that's kind of the big question with Collins. If Collins can become a center, then he becomes incredibly valuable to the point that you're almost willing to max the guy. Now, all this to say that the Celtics have not made a trade in what six seasons now since Isaiah Thomas. So, yeah. I mean, and some could say, some have said that the Celtics are maybe just better off waiting into the off season to make major changes because from what we've seen from this team, it just doesn't seem like they're going to make that deep of a run as it is. How are you, what do you think about that mentality? Do you think they're better off just kind of holding posts and waiting or? Not really. Um, and of course you'd be mid season trade. Obviously they've made off, off season trades. Yes, so thank you. they, yeah, but so I, I think that they should make these moves now because I do think that these players are the kind of players that they need and that they've been pretty clear that they want. Um, and they're very attainable right now. And I think it's, I would be shocked if Aaron Gordon's not traded this week. I mean, there, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of momentum towards getting a deal none, not done now. And frankly, if Orlando doesn't trade him now, I don't really think they're going to get a good return for him in the offseason. So there's just no reason for them to keep kicking the can down the road on this. Um, so, you know, these, these are the guys that they should be trading for. And it's possible that they could maybe get involved with a superstar trade this offseason. We know that Bradley Beal is a li- is likely going to be traded this offseason at this rate because Washington is not winning uh, after things started to turn around for them. There's no other superstar that I can see right now out there that fits their timeline that could be traded for. Like Nick Vucevic could be, but he's going to be like, a, I think he's going to be a 31-year-old center that's not that great of a defender at that point. Like, you don't want to trade for that kind of guy. So I just don't really see the opportunities that are going to be out there that they can realistically pull off. And I just don't think they should be trading Jalen Brown for Bradley Beal. Cause I don't think that improves you enough uh, in the short term to make you a contending team. So I just don't really see what they would be waiting for that they can't pull off right now. And speaking of trades, there were recent reports that Danny Ainge can be like a real bear to deal with during negotiations, which kind of created the idea that maybe this could impact his you know reputation going forward whatever do you think there's any truth to that and that it could maybe hinder the celtics potential of making like truly impactful trades down the line not really i mean like yeah it's true that he's a really tough negotiator for sure um you know a a big thing that people always complain about is that uh the celtics are the team that always called about this player and didn't get something done and danny Ainge is like always laughed at for um you know, for, for being the guy that's always this close to getting someone. But the thing is, like, I just had someone in the Celtics front office say to me uh, this week, 
Like we call about every single player in the league. And for some reason, not all teams do that, but we feel like, but like every team should be doing that. You should always be placing calls, checking in on whether this player could be available because a lot of deals get done when you call a team thinking there's no way this guy's available. And they're like, you know what? We actually feel like today I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. So I'm ready to trade this guy away. That's how, that's how a lot of these deals get done. And so like that, that's how they operate. And so sometimes that stuff gets out and it gets completely misconstrued. But in reality, they're just like doing due diligence all the time, basically. And so Ainge, the, the big thing that I've always heard that I feel like is, is legit is that Ainge puts a ton of pressure on the deal. Sometimes we'll you know, make it a ticking time bomb offer where it's a take it or leave it. This note will explode in, you know, in 10 minutes, that kind of thing. Or they'll, you know, right when they're approaching the finish line, want to squeeze out just a little bit more juice from a trade. Like sometimes even just like getting an extra second round pick or moving their protections a little bit. So, you know, from that perspective, that's something I've heard that like I think it pissed people, the other GMs off for sure. But most GMs and assistant GMs and other front office people I talk to think that the Celtics are pretty normal to deal with. And just that the Celtics are generally one of the teams that hasn't really been you know, desperate to throw their assets into the pot and get a deal done over the years. Yeah, that's one thing I found strange. I think the quote was that Ainge tries to bury teams and that was kind of chalked up as a negative. And it's just like, why should he be flat for trying to win trades? Like that's what you should be doing. I just didn't understand why that was, he was held in such a negative light for that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like that's I've heard that before, too. And I mean, here's the thing. So like when you're a G, when you're GMs in the NBA, you're trying to pull off something that's mutually agreeable and you're trying to maintain positive relationships with everybody. So you're not trying to, like, you know, screw everybody over and, you know, and like, you know, hold them up against a locker and be like, give me all your lunch money or give me all your all stars. Like that's that's not an effective way to go about business because you can't really ever exert that kind of leverage over somebody to be able to pull that off. So you, you can't really bully people. So, you know, I, I, like usually the way that these things work is one team has a current player and then one team has future assets. And it's basically who's ready to move off of current success to go for future, to uh, plan for the future. And it's always just syncing up those two things. And that's how most deals get done in the NBA. It's very rarely you're exchanging future for future or present for present. So, you know, that that's why, like, it's not really so much of a, he's trying to bury you in the trade. It's like, he's, he's just trying to be really careful about how he surrenders his, his present or surrenders his future to exchange with you. I don't, don't want to get too big picture here but do you think one the celtics feel good about this path they might be going on uh and, and do or if so do you think they should feel good about it that they're in this spot now where they sort of seem to be hitching their wagons to maybe a uh, aaron gordon evan fournier trade or john collins bogdanovich trade because and not to go i don't want to go all the way back but Obviously, we know what would happen with the team up with Kyrie, Horford, and Gordon Hayward. It didn't work. Then it seemed like the big plan was to get Anthony Davis. That didn't work. They essentially chose Terry Rozier over Marcus Smart. Now they're apparently floating Marcus Smart in trade rumors. They replaced Kyrie with Kemba Walker. Now they keep trying to trade him. Many feel like you could just roll with Peyton Pritchard eventually. Gordon Hayward left in the offseason after maybe being possibly traded for Miles Turner. Now you're going after a player in Aaron Gordon who people think might be inferior to Gordon Hayward. So just like, how do you think the Celtics feel about the spot that they're in now and what seems to be like sort of a last resort path 
and they have no other way to go. Oh, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Things have gone terribly. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't agree with a lot of the characterizations you were throwing there, which I know you're like, you know, you're kind of aggregating the fan uh, temperature for sure there. Um, but I mean, you know, like they, they had a great plan in place with the Kyrie stuff, and then it failed pretty badly with Kyrie, and they've been scrambling to correct course ever since then. And I thought they did a good job with the Kemba stuff. Uh, and uh, like Terry Rozier, I thought he was going to be good. I, I thought he would probably be as good as he was last year. I think he'd be quite as good as he is this year. But, you know, like they could have gone with a solid young two-way point guard, or I guess now he's entering his prime in Terry Rozier, or they could do what they were trying to do was swing for the fences and bring in an elite all-star offensive scorer that they could pair next to two really good two-way young wings. And the, the recipe with Kemba Walker and their wings that they had last year was working great. And they looked amazing until Kemba got hurt. And they knew Kemba was having some knee issues, but it's gotten worse than they thought it was going to be. Now, I don't know what Charlotte knew before they let Kemba go. And I don't know what they communicated with Boston and what Boston understood was going to be the knee issue. Boston certainly knew what they were getting into with Kyrie and the Kyrie thing wasn't that big of a surprise. But so, you know, like I, you know, this Kemba, so like it feels like it's been forever since Kemba Walker was good. But if you count the number of games that it's been since he was good, it's been basically one season's worth of games. But because of the pandemic, it feels like it's like as it kind of has been like two years now almost. So if if he's able to correct course and then you still have two more seasons after this, Kemba Walker can get back to being an all-star caliber player. And then all of this basically is behind you and everything works out fine there's probably a 50, 50 shot of that happening. And that's really scary. They're in a scary place right now. Luckily for them, they do have two young all-stars at the most important position in the NBA locked under big extensions. So they have that security and most teams in the league don't have that. Everything else around them is concerning because of that, because of the just, you know, stasis of smart being here forever. And they kind of know what there is there. And then they have tons of prospects, all who could be maybe starting caliber and only one of them so far has shown anything. So, yeah, it's like a, it's a real concerning place that they're in right now. Yeah, and I just real quick, I, I probably should have laid it out better. I don't actually, like, criticize them for much of the, the decisions they made over the last few years. I've, I've agreed with most all of them with, you know, I've had some quibbles with the managing of the draft assets. But I agree with you. I think right. the steps they've taken have been the right ones. It's just obviously where it's ultimately led them, Some often through no fault of their own, uh, is is unfortunate as you as you mentioned you know I, I will say real quick if there's something you want to criticize them for it's that they had to use a first round pick to get rid of Ennis Cantor that was really bad you know that's that's like a very small thing and it doesn't have a big impact on their future but that was just like really that was really mediocre uh, front office ship there that you had to that you had to do that like they had all these extra draft picks and they ended up not really getting any good value out of any of those situations. They have Carson Edwards, who's going nowhere. Grant, Grant Williams, who I think is actually good, but Brad just won't play him. Um, you know, it's like they, they haven't really gotten anything good out of the tons and tons of draft picks that they had. And that's been a huge mistake. Um, I want to bring it back really quick to Kemba and kind of that 50-50 bet that you're placing on him, right, if you're the Celtics. Um, I wonder since he's been back and as he's been kind of ramping up, if you think he's looked good or not. And if like how he's impacted his own trade value, because I think like, of course, like best case scenario, you can work out something around him. So you're not 
giving up smart necessarily. Uh, he has negative trade value right now, uh, according to every source that I've talked to. He is because he's hurt because he's older. He's you know he's turning thirty one. He is a he's not really an impactful defender, especially in the postseason. Even though I do, I, I think is he plays hard defense, but like in the postseason, it becomes a problem because of his size. Um, we're, we have seen we've never really seen him be, be successful in the postseason because of his size, and he's making thirty five, thirty six million over the next couple of years. He just nobody wants that right now. If he plays great, maybe somebody was willing to take him on, but right now. His contract, it's like John Wall's contract was. It's like, I guess, kind of like what Russell Westbrook's contract was. I mean, people are just don't want to take that risk right now. And uh, before we let you go, I just want to ask your opinion on one of the other more prominent Celtic storylines of late. Um, uh, earlier this week, there was a tar last week, there was a ton of smoke about the idea of Stevens taking the vacant Indiana job. Obviously, he wound up denying it pretty emphatically. Me personally, I just have a tough time completely ruling it out just because, you know, let's just say the end of the season ends terribly. You know, you never know what can happen over the next couple of months. Um, where do you see that? Do you Are you ruling it out or do you think it's a possibility over the next, you know, couple of months or so? Well, we know that they're not going to fire him because they just committed like somewhere in the 40 to $50 million range to him. So they're not going to pay that money to, to have him leave even if they were somehow going to uh, consider firing him. Uh, people that I've talked to in the front office kind of laugh at the idea of that anyway. And um, they, they love Brad and they, they, they see, I think the big thing with Brad is that they know Brad's the kind of person that can weather these kind of storms. Brad's the kind of coach, which is not very common that just straight up, he'll never listen to this podcast. It's not because it's not a great podcast, which it is, but because he couldn't give a crap about what we're saying about him. He doesn't care. None of the noise matters to him. He doesn't pay attention to it. He doesn't care about it. You know, I mean, he cares about his players and making sure that they block out the noise, but he doesn't care about what anybody else thinks. He just cares about what the front office and ownership think. And that's that, you know, having a coach with that kind of thick skin that's that's what allows these coaches to survive. I mean, that was a big part of why Lloyd Pierce had his downfall in Atlanta was uh, he had thin skin and it was it resulted in him kind of behaving in a way that ended up costing him his job. So because of that, they're not going to be firing him. It's really the question of is he going to try to leave? And I mean, I, I spent I spent like two days on the phone for like ten hours a day before that for, before that press conference happened and got so much conflicting information that was just so insane. Uh, going each direction that it's it's so hard to tell what's real and what's not real. The main thing that I did get was that, um, you know, as some people try to make it out that he had some sort of meeting with the team that day and declared, I'm not going anywhere. Kind of like the, uh, like the Wolf of Wall Street scene where he's not leaving. That did not happen. It was as simple as like, you know, he walked into the building and like the front office guys saw and they're like, Hey, you're not leaving. Right. And he's like, yeah, of course I'm not leaving. And they're like, okay. So what do you think we should do for tonight's game? Like that's, that, that's, that's what I'm saying. I yeah. saw that report and I'm like, they had shoot around today. Why wouldn't he just mention it then? Like, yeah. So like, sure. I'm, I'm sure some other people asked him about it, but everything I was told is that he was like, like people were joking about it and he was joking about it. Like there was no, nobody was, was really worried about it at all. It was never a serious consideration. It's just so hard to conceive that anyone would leave an NBA job to go back 
to college basketball anymore. And like, yeah. I don't, just dealing with recruiting seems like the last, I get there's sentimental value there for Stevens in particular with Indiana, but what a nightmare that sounds like. I mean, I know NBA guys can bring a lot of drama, but the NCAA, what's worse? For real. And like, you're, you're probably not going to get compensated as much. You have to deal with so much stuff that you don't have to deal with as an NBA coach. And we know Brad's like a basketball purist who doesn't want the limelight. He doesn't want to have to deal with recruiting. He doesn't want to do booster dinners and all that kind of stuff. He just wants to focus on basketball and then be with his family. The the most compelling thing that I was told by multiple people during that whole fiasco was that why would Brad Stevens want to leave a job that he already barely sees his family for another job? where he literally doesn't have a single bit of offseason the entire year that he spends the rest of it recruiting. There's no way in hell he's going to be doing that. The one thing I did kind of call BS on was when he was, you know, turning it down, he was saying how he was a mass hole who like cuts people off and roots for the pads. Stevens just seems like too nice of a guy to cut people off on the highway. <laughs> he did say he drinks dunks. That's that's the important part. Yeah, that's right. Oh no, as someone who who grew up in New Hampshire now lives in this area area, ninety five and ninety three in Massachusetts can ruin even even the kindest of drivers. It can bring you over to the dark side. I am a far angrier, more dangerous driver than I've ever been at any point in my life, and it is entirely the fault of moving moving to Massachusetts. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually. I'm actually in my, I'm in my car right now. I could have taken 93 home if I wanted to, but I decided I'm taking back roads just so I don't have to get on 93 during rush hour. Good call. I would pay money to see Mad Brad on 93 or 95 and like pre-pandemic rush hour. But uh, Jared, thanks so much for coming on today. We won't take up too much more of your time, but let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, you can just find me on the Ness and Celtics podcast once every few months. <laughs> how about where else uh, i don't know just google me <laughs> okay <laughs> well thanks so much for coming on today um and yeah we're, we'll see how this all plays out and then maybe have you back on in the future to re- to hash it out again i'll consider it all right thanks <laughs> Jared. thanks guys Okay, just want to thank Jared again for coming on. Uh, So yeah, be sure to Google him, guys. Uh, That's all we have for today. We can't wait to catch up with you guys again after the deadline and see how things played out for the Celtics. Until then, take care. See you guys. Bye, guys.